God expects us to make his call to follow him our highest priority. There was a time when I was young and I would go to church and I thought apparently what the preacher wants is unreasonable. He wants, he wants people to simply change everything they're doing and, and follow after Jesus. And we can't live like Jesus because Jesus lived in a dusty, dirty place and they killed each other and, and he just walked around all the time. And um, back when I was about six or seven years old thinking about this, people walked around all the time in Atlanta. They were called hippies. They didn't have a job, they smelled, they wore robes, and they had long hair just like Jesus. And I remember when I looked at that and I thought about it, and I'll never forget the, the day that I asked my mom and dad, I said, why does the preacher want us to end up like these hippies? And my dad just laughed and he said, no, no, that's not at all what it's about. And he began to explain to me how Jesus had called him as a little boy to follow him and to be obedient. And he said, I followed him. He said, I followed him to Europe in World War II. I followed him from Tennessee all the way down here to Georgia when I married your mom. And said, and I'll follow him the rest of my life because he said, you need to walk the way I walk. That began to communicate to me what Jesus was really about. That Jesus wasn't just that man wearing a robe on the flannel graph they stuck on the board in our, in our junior department to watch. He was more than that. He loved us. He wanted us to follow him because his way was best. It was not that we would all be carpenters, but we were to understand that only he could save us. None of us would know how much about Jesus if it hadn't have been for his personal students that he called. These men right here, especially these four that we look at in this passage this morning, he just walked up to them and he said, if you'll follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Now there's a backstory behind that because no doubt the Holy Spirit had prepared their hearts for that <clears throat> and they understood what he was calling them for. No, we can't be the apostles. We can't be his disciples that followed him but we can be those who follow after. The Gospels are important because they were given to us as an understanding of how these people followed him and how he changed their lives. I want you to notice that among the, the 12 disciples, that one of them was not really a disciple. He was in it for himself, and he ended up selling Jesus over to die, and he ended up not even being a part of that. We notice that many of them ran away from him, when it really got tough. Simon Peter was one of those. And really only one of the twelve disciples was still there when he died. John. And that's a little bit the way it is for us. There are times that we get frustrated and we walk away. We don't know what's going on and, and we think, well, maybe I'll try something different. The average Christian does not begin that ascent to God and continue consistently. We have brokenness and we have times when we give up and walk away and we find something more important that we believe will satisfy us and, and we deviate from that. That happens. Here's the amazing thing. God still loves us. God is never discouraged about us. His love is everlasting and it will continue to guide us in all that we do. I'm convinced that the Lord wants us to realize that being an ordinary person 
is the way we come into this life, but He wants us to be extraordinary. He took fishermen, of all people, to be His disciples. This was probably one of the least liked professions, but the one most of us would want to be. I mean, who wouldn't want to fish for a living? Of course, I've told you before, my personal desire was to be a garbage man when I was growing up. I, anybody that could ride on the back of a big truck like that and go in and out of neighborhoods and wave at people and pet dogs, that was a great job, seemingly. But God calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things, and that's what he expects of, of us. In 1 Corinthians, Paul told the Christians in Corinth these words. He said, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Now, not many of you were wise in human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world to nullify the things that are important. That's what God does. He doesn't go out and say, well, I'll select the best of this. No, it's whosoever will may come. He loves you, he made you, and he wants you to follow him. You know, the, the disciples, you know, their call to follow Jesus is a challenge to us as well. Because I look at what they were doing and how they just simply walked away and followed him. I want to think this morning a little bit about Ways that we follow him and how we can follow him. And are you following close enough after him to make a difference in your life? We have a lifetime to choose what we're going to do and what we're going to be. And amazingly, in the funeral home, they make caskets in all sizes. Young people die. If you're fortunate, you live to be old. But we all have a length of time to serve him in. It's called our life. And it's important, it's imperative that we understand what he's calling us to do and how we're to walk after him. The first thing I want to mention to you is this. Jesus calls ordinary people engaged in everyday life. He's not expecting you to be spectacular. When I answered the call uh, uh, to be saved, I had no idea that I would ever be called to preach. Had I known that, I would have never gone forward. This is the last thing I would have ever wanted to do. I, I've told you before, I stuttered horribly when I was young. I could not stand in front of a crowd. I didn't want to do that. Why I'm up here now, I really can't say other than the fact that Jesus called me, and he said, if I call you, I'll equip you, and he did. And my stuttering disappeared as I became an adult, and I overcame that. And that's what he's able to do for us. But, but he takes ordinary people and uses them in extraordinary ways. For some reason, we tend to think that people who go on to do significant things for God are people who have great backgrounds, but the reality is that's not true. Ordinary people do extraordinary things. When I was growing up, there was a man that I, I came to know as a child and grew up to know as an adult who became a, a very good friend of mine. His name was Frank Gordy. Frank Gordy grew up in a, what you might call a working class neighborhood in Atlanta. His dad worked at Atlantic Steel. His mother would go and clean houses uh, for people. He would come home alone uh, from school each day. His mother would be busy working. But they instilled in him a work ethic that was so powerful that by the age of nine, he went to work. 
of all places, at nine years of age, he went to work in a mechanic shop changing tires on cars. Well, he grew to love that and enjoy it. He even at one point said that he wanted to go to college, and so back before World War II started, he, he decided to go to Georgia Tech. And I know, Jeff, you know this story. He went there for one semester. He took one class, and the dean called him in, and he said this. He said, Franklin, he said, you don't have the intelligence to make it at Georgia Tech, so we're going to part company. And he said, well, what should I do? He says, I don't know. He said, with your lack of focus, maybe you need to open a hot dog stand. That's what he said to him. Well, he did. And it still stands there today. It's called the Varsity. It's the largest hot dog stand in the world. In fact, that one building across from Georgia Tech feeds more people hot dogs and hamburgers, Cokes and French fries, uh, something called a frosted orange, which I would die for right now, and, and also fried pies than any single restaurant in the world. There are 37 dining rooms in it, and Georgia Tech students have loved it all along. Frank Gordy didn't get discouraged when the dean told him that. He took it to heart. And he understood that God calls and equips us, not from without always, but sometimes within. And that's what God expects us to do. I'm convinced that the Lord wants us to realize that being an ordinary person is okay, as long as we allow Him to do marvelous things through us. It's the norm in kingdom work. The greatest of people do not rise from, from the high stature of life that they're in. Many times they have to step down from that to serve. And God expects us to do that and to do that obediently when we follow him. God wants us to be equipped. I, there's a man in one of my favorite Old Testament characters was a fellow named Amos. I talk about him a lot. I, I've preached a series of sermons on him several times. Amos was a farmer. In fact, he did two things, and he did them well. He bred sheep, and he picked figs. Now, that sounds like a strange combination until you're a farmer, and then you realize you do whatever works. Uh, the days of farmers bringing forth just one thing are over with. You have to have many, many crops and many different things you work in. I had, I had one farm, 8,000-acre farm in Zebulon, Georgia, that had 15 different businesses on that farm. Everything from seed cleaning, to, they even restored tractors. They had a group of older men that no longer wanted to work on the farm and run the machinery. But they went to a barn and they started rebuilding John Deere tractors. And irony of ironies, that was financially the most prosperous division in that farm. You do what you're called to do and you're equipped to do. The amazing thing about Amos is, Amos didn't go to seminary. He didn't come from a preacher's home. Uh, he, he wasn't from a town where great... Prophets were born, but God looked down at him and saw him in his obedience, that he worshiped God even while he was raising sheep and growing figs, and he called him to do something. And listen to what Amos says when he gets to, to uh, the, the big city, to the big church there. Amaziah was the high priest. He was in the, the glorious robes and the fancy clothes. And he looks at him and he says, what are you doing here, farmer? Speaking for God, we don't need you. Here in Bethel, they have me. Listen to what Amos 
answers Amaziah. He said, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go and prophesy to Israel. And he said, that's why I'm here. Amos was the last voice of hope that spoke to Israel before it was decimated. If you remember, the northern kingdom of Israel never returned from their bondage. They were utterly decimated. And God chose not a professional preacher, but a passionate farmer to speak the last words of truth to hopefully call them back. I want to talk to you for a minute, too, about a group of men that you've read about all your lives. I call them the 56 Ordinary Men. They were a mixture of native-born and foreign-born Americans. Some were rich, many were poor. They were farmers and merchants, physicians. They were self-made men, and there were some that were born into, into things. But 29 of them, less than half, were college graduates. Their average age was 42. They were pretty ordinary. They, they, they were really nothing special. And the only thing that drew them together was a desire for freedom. And we call them our founding fathers. Many of them died pursuing that. Most of them lost their property and their careers. But they did so out of a passion that they believed freedom mattered. And all but two were men of faith that believed that God had ordained what they were doing. And when they were the signers of the Declaration of Independence, they knew they were laying down their lives to start something new. So please don't go out of your way today to explain how God doesn't have anything special for you. These 56 men were willing to trust Him, and we enjoy the freedom and the joy and the prosperity of the sacrifices they made. Secondly, I want you to realize that Jesus calls us with His words, His power, and His love. He equips us. He doesn't prepare us ahead of time. He just says, come follow me and I'll do something with your life that will change you, not just for now and not just in the distant future, but forever. Calling a person to leave their life behind and go into an entirely different direction is no small matter. Many people get inspired by, by, by much in life, but very few people hold on to everything that they're doing. You know, it would have been something to be called by a rabbi or a spiritual leader in their day. Jesus was neither. He was just a common man. He was a son of a carpenter. But he spoke, and his words were eloquent, and they were powerful. And he gave them an image of something that, that lingered in the back of their minds, the memories that they had of the prophets of old is their words were read by the rabbi and they heard that one day there was a coming Messiah that would change the world. And when they heard his voice and his words that rang through their heart, they were changed. It's amazing that the powerful people and the, uh, the spiritual leaders and the political leaders of that day, they didn't hear that voice. No, they were only listening to one voice, their own. They were, many of them were trying to play to the religious leaders that, that were over them, that oppressed them, the Roman Empire. Even one of the disciples believed that. 
And several thought, maybe Jesus has come to take over the Roman Empire and to free us from that bondage. No, he came for something much bigger than that. You see, he understood the bondage of sin is greater than our environment. You don't solve your problems uh, with financial increases. Money does not fix your problems. In fact, the reality is if you've lived long enough, you know that money calls more problems into your life than you had before. No, he came to change their heart within. But lastly, Jesus calls us to an incredible journey. This is where we are called. That journey is powerful and it's special. It's important, it's influential. You know, George Washington Carver's tombstone is one that many people uh, visit in Diamond, Missouri. And it says on the, the tombstone these words. It says, Friends and strangers, as you pass by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. Prepare for death and follow me. Now it's funny, one day the care uh, 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 the uh, giver of that grave there came by there and somebody put a note below there and written it on a piece of paper and it said this. It says, to follow you I will not consent until I know which way you went. And that's a good point. I would want to know that. But hopefully he went the right way. But we're all going in a direction in life. You can fix your destiny in eternity now by asking Jesus in your heart taking the gift of salvation and being forgiven of your sins. Or, you can take your chances as you live and go through life. There's a funny thing that happens to you when you get to a certain age, and it's different for different people. And it goes something like this. You can get up in the morning, average Monday morning, and you can remember that there was something you were supposed to do today, but you can't remember what it was and where you are supposed to do it, but you know there's something important you were supposed to do. Ever had that happen? It only happens to me probably once a day. And you're aware that it's there, but you can't remember exactly what it is. And somewhere in your day, you'll remember. I know folks will try to remember someone's name, and I've seen many people sit there and do this A, B, C, D. Hopefully that they'll hit on the right number, the alphabet, alphabet that will remind them of that name. We do that. We, we are forgetful about a lot of things. I write notes constantly. I keep them in my pocket. I have to learn to throw them away. And, and I've also learned recently to date them because if I don't, I'll pick up the wrong note and do the same thing I did last week. You ever done that? Here's what I'm saying. Don't put off asking Jesus in your heart till later on. Because Satan will see to it that you'll remember there's something you were supposed to do that was very important, but you can't recall what it really is. You begin early with him in life, and you follow him. He is inviting you right now to do some things. He's inviting you to be a disciple. That wasn't just an invitation. That's the norm. Follow me. People struggle in figuring out when Simon Peter became a Christian and the other three fishermen here. But I'll tell you, when they became, fish, uh, became Christians, the minute he called them and they turned and left what they were doing and walked toward him, they were saved. In fact, the word repent means that. It means to make a U-turn, to, to walk away from what you're doing and toward something else. The moment he called them, that meant they were a follower of Christ.
Now, here's the reality for us. We're called to be disciples. The moment you're called to Him, you're called to begin a pathway that matters. Secondly, you're called to leave behind the old life. There are always things you have to let go to follow Him. Your dreams and desires, those things that occupied your time, that they weren't really bad, but they became sin because they occupied your time that belonged to Him. And we all have those situations. We can make anything into sin. Hebrews 12, 1 is very explicit about that. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked before us. That obedience makes all the difference. But also remember this. We are called to do much more, much, much more than we're doing now. Simon Peter was a very average man. You could have smelled him walking through the marketplace. He smelled like fish. If you've ever been around fishermen, especially those that handle the nets and work on a fishing boat, you know that odor and that fragrance never leaves you. Just like printers in a previous generation that always had the ink on their hands. Just like mechanics that always had the reality of that. Now, nowadays, now, Mr. Friday started out in the day when a mechanic had to have grease on and be a mechanic. And they all had that, that little pink rag you kept in your pocket. But nowadays, mechanics aren't that way. They put on suits and they have on gloves and they stay clean. But they bore the marks of the work that they did. God wants us to bear the marks of the work that we do for Him. That's why scars are important when we suffer. That's why we go through difficult times and struggle. You know, I want to tell you a story to end the service about a person that, that's a personal hero of mine. His name is Charles. He's born in a lower middle class family in rural Oklahoma in 1940. He was, he was not a, 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 a great person to begin with. He came from an average family. But he did this. At age 12, he went to a Billy Graham crusade in another city with his family. People travel great distances to hear Billy Graham then. He was just becoming very important. And there he heard Billy Graham preach. And, and, and as his father and mother moved forward, Charles went forward too. And he prayed to receive Christ. Someone prayed with him. They gave him a little New Testament. They talked to him about that. And somehow he became your typical church member. Not one that was passionate, but one that was there occasionally. He grew up, and he did some remarkable things. He went to become the karate middleweight champion of the world eight times. He went on to make movies. He went on to literally, in one movie, fight with Bruce Lee to the death in a death match. And you know who Charles is, Chuck Norris. Many years later, Chuck Norris was in the middle of probably the series that made him best known to so many people, Walker, Texas Ranger. It was very successful. Wealth came upon him and much success. But one day, during the next to the last season of their filming... Chuck came home one day and his wife, Gina, was reading her Bible. And she looked at him with tears in her eyes and she said, there are things in here I've never heard before. She said, I grew up in church, but I never read the Bible. I figured that was for somebody else. 
And she began to cry and she said, you know, if I really believed this and trusted this, it would change my life. And the strings of Chuck Norris's heart became very tender and sensitive. And he went all the way back to that Billy Graham crusade. And he began to realize how he had walked away from God. Yes, he walked towards success. He became famous, infamous in many ways. A legend. Yet he walked away from God. That evening, he knelt and he repented. And he grew close to God again. And his wife came to know Jesus as Savior. And people tell me, and I've looked back and I've seen it, that his life was so transformed. If you watch that episode that was filmed just after his salvation. It was the second episode of that next to the last season. Chuck Norris begins to talk about his faith in Jesus Christ. He shares it in a very realistic way, in an almost uncomfortable way, there in a program that had nothing to do with that. And he, he uses that as an opportunity. In fact, they said once he left that show, he began to work with over seven Christian organizations. And to this day, he does that. Because he said, as much as karate changed his life, God saved his soul. And he said, Jesus is my king. And because of that, I will never walk away. Yes, God has a way of taking ordinary people and doing extraordinary things with them. If we're willing to walk the way that he calls us. I don't know where you are today. You may be comfortable sitting in church and coming occasionally, and, and yet you've not encountered the true and the living Christ. You need to do that. I've told you before, God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. The fact that your parents are, are, are Christians has no influence on you whatsoever. You personally have to come to Christ. You cannot hang around the church and become a Christian. It doesn't happen that way. It's a relationship. And God expects us to encounter Him. I pray you'll do that today. Let us pray. Father, I ask that you would speak to us today in a way only your Holy Spirit can, within our hearts, and convict and convince us of what we should do even now. Lord, the reality is that, that we, we are all sinners. We started out life that way. We were fallen, and we were destitute, and we were hopeless. But you saved us, and because of that salvation, we have hope, and we have a future. God, I pray that you would speak to someone this morning and call them to come close to you, to obey you, and to repent, and to find that relationship that will change them, that will change not only the way they walk, but the direction in which they walk. Father, speak to someone now, for we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.